Hello, and welcome to the CBC The Rim podcast. We're glad you found us. CBC The Rim is a church in San Antonio, Texas. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us at cbctherim.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, if we have another chance to meet, my name is Drew Worsham, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to say welcome. Uh, I was sitting kind of offstage during worship and just kind of worshiping alongside of you guys. And man, just had this, this kind of weight on my shoulders that I, I believe, and I don't know who this is for, but I, I feel like as a church, we need to be reminded that Jesus loves us deeply. That we've been talking about some really core truths as things that we want to be about as a church. And I think there's, in some ways, like I never want to apologize for calling us up to be what, who God has called us to be. But I think in the midst of all of that, sometimes we can forget that God is just pleased with us. That he loves us dearly. And I know many of us, uh, depending on our background, walk into maybe this space tonight and go, yeah, but big deal, Drew. That, that's, that doesn't make me special. Like, God loves everybody. Like, he is love. That doesn't make me special. Well, maybe tonight you need to hear this truth, that God not only loves you, that he actually likes you. And that it's not by accident that you find yourself in this space tonight. And maybe, just maybe, that's the only reason you're here is to be reminded that God sees you and that he loves you dearly. And I believe he's calling us to something bigger and sweeter. And so that's why we've been in this series to go, God, we want to experience all of you and we want to experience life and life to the fullest that you offer. And so we've just kind of been diving in. And so tonight, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us that God would speak directly to our hearts in a language that we can understand. Like I said earlier, not a single one of us, I believe, are here by accident or happenstance. And what's bigger than that is that the God of the universe is here tonight. And I believe that he has something in store for each of us. And I don't want us to miss it. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll dive into God's word. Well, Jesus, tonight, we believe that you are here. And Father, Wherever we find ourselves in the spiritual journey, whether we know you and love you, or maybe we come in here with all of our questions and all of our doubt, Jesus, you're not scared of our doubts. You're not scared of our past. You're bigger than that. And you're inviting us into something bigger than that. And so tonight, I I pray that you would just open the eyes of our heart to see you for the treasure that you really are. And whatever you have for us tonight, would you speak clearly through me? And Jesus, if there's anything that doesn't line up with your heart, I pray that right now you would just shut the ears of your people. You would shut my mouth and don't let me say anything that doesn't come straight from you. Jesus, we love you, we trust you, and we give you tonight. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to the very first page, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. And as you turn there, um, as a kid, I've always loved math, like big fan, still a little bit of a geek, Uh, loved algebra. To me, it was just a giant puzzle that we had to try to figure out. And and I remember uh, early on in elementary school learning how to add. And many of you, you remember those illustrations where it was like, okay, listen, if you have one apple and I give you a second apple, you have how many apples? 
Two. Yeah, yeah, very good. Some of you were excited. Like, I know the answer to this one. Uh, or if you have two apples and I take away one apple, how many apples do you have? One. Yeah, yeah. So simple addition. But I remember later on in elementary school, Miss Williams teaching us multiplication and the power of multiplication. And I remember she posed this question to all of the third, day, third grade class. And it was, it was kind of an interesting. She said, if you have a choice between taking $10,000 a day for a month or one penny a day that doubled for the same amount of time, which do you choose? But you gotta think, as a third grade kid, now these aren't real dollar, $100 bills, uh, in case you were, uh, you're either like, those are, uh, Drew, you're a very small human with small hands, or they're fake, and they are fake. But I want you to imagine, like, $100, like, like $10,000 every single day to a third grader. Like, that's crazy, or a penny, and the next day you get two pennies, and the next day you get four pennies, you're like, oh, this one's easy, but you kind of sense this is a trick question. But the truth is, if I give you $10,000 at the end of this exercise, in one month, you'd have $300,000. Like, that's a lot of money. That's a whole lot of money. In one week, you'd have $70,000. Now, if I were to give you pennies, I want you to think about a stack of $10,000, if I said, okay, today you get one of these. Tomorrow, I'm going to give you two of them. The next day, I'm going to give you four. Now, here's what's interesting. At the end of the week, you have a total of $1.27 when your friend has $70,000. Like, that's a lot of money to all of us, let alone a third grader. But here's what's crazy. If you were to have said yes to the $10,000, and not the penny that doubled every single day, you would have missed out on a lot of money, that you would have missed out on over $10 million. At the end of 30 days, I think we have this on the side, this is what it adds up to. Just a penny doubling every single day, $10,737,418.17. That's crazy, and just for fun, I took it all the way to four months. So if you're just like, hey, curious, how long if you just kept multiplying that? Do we have that number up here? Yeah, that's what happens if for four months, as I had to write it down, that's 13 dazillion, 292 million, 279 octillion, 957 septillion, 849 sextillion, 158 quintillion, 729 quadrillion, 38 trillion, 70 billion, 602 million, 803,364 dollars. I don't care who you are, that's a lot of money. In America, we could use it right now, it'll get us out of debt. But the, what you learn is a valuable lesson in mathematics that addition always, always beats out multiplication. But the truth is, we're drawn to addition because of the quick fix. That if you think about it, one plus one equals what? Two. One times one equals one. In the first generation, addition wins. The second generation, two plus two and two times two, they both are four. Okay, some of you are, yeah, I'll help you out. I'll give you the answer. Uh, but it's, so we see, but later on, it becomes exponential. Now, the reason I share that tonight is that I believe 
in the Western church, we've been using bad math. That our eyes have been fixated on addition and not multiplication. And today in America, fewer than 20% of Americans attend church regularly. If we we polled our area in our five-mile radius, it's about 18% of people check a box that say they're like somewhat affiliated with a church, meaning that they go once or twice a year at least. Probably lands closer to 9% of our community are actually involved in a local church, less than 10%. Half of all churches in America did not grow like by one single person in by like death to life story this past year. Half the churches didn't have a single person in their church give their life to Jesus. That every week 43,000 Americans are leaving the church for good. And 100 years ago there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans. And today there are only 11 churches per 10,000. And if you do the math, we are not solving the mission problem given to us by Jesus. So tonight, my hope for us as a church is that what God begins to stir in our hearts in this place would not stay in this place. That God, as we look to the future, would allow us to be a part of a movement a movement of God, that we joke often as a staff that you look back and and, and maybe God would allow us, if we're so lucky, to be a part of something so magnificent, so huge, that they pull us together and go, hey, you guys got to write a book on this. And we go, hey, here's the deal. It's going to be really boring and really short because all we did was pray a lot and then try our best to do what God said, the end, that that's it. That God would let us get swept up into something so big that it would affect not only our community, not only our city, but the cities of the world. And if that's going to happen, it will only be through multiplication. Because there is no movement without multiplication. So tonight, as we look at God's word, and we're going to look at the very first chapter of Scripture that God is in the heavens and begins to create with simply his words. That God's words become a paintbrush and he creates all things that we know. And on the sixth day, God's gonna reach into the dirt and form mankind and breathe life into him. It's the first thing that God ever touches. So that's where we're gonna jump into the story. So in Genesis 1, verse 26 This is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Now, I don't have time to talk about this. I love that you see Jesus show up on the first page. Like, wait, Drew, I don't know where do you see that? That we see this Trinity language. We believe that God is one in three persons: Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, not three but in three persons. And here, this is plural, let us make man in our image. Jesus is right there if you have eyes to see it. In our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. 
in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. Now listen, this is not what this sermon is about. We don't have time, but I just want to just highlight this fact. Every single one of you in this room, whether you believe it or not, were created in the image of God. The Latin, the Imago Dei, meaning the image of God is on every single one of us. His fingerprints are all over us. That Psalms would tell us this, that, that, that God knit us together inside of our mother's wombs, that whatever you believe about yourself, you need to know that you are created in the very image of God, in his likeness. But tonight, watch this. In verse 28, we get the very first commandment. It says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first thing that I want us to see tonight is that God blessed them. God blessed them. And what I, what, I, what I want you to see is this, is before Adam and Eve do anything on planet Earth, they're blessed. Do you catch that? There's, there's no, I love how Jordan said, there's no striving, there's no performance, there's no earning. It's not like that, that Adam and Eve were really, really good, and because they were really good, then God pays them back with blessing. No, they were blessed. And so what, what does blessing mean? We, we live in a culture where social media has gone crazy with this whole hashtag blessed movement the last few months. Have you seen this? Have you been on social media at all? Like it's hashtag blessed. And typically it's some guy getting into some really fancy sports car, posting it on the gram, hashtag blessed. Or it's somebody on the beach, on vacation, hashtag blessed. And typically, it has something to do with material gain. I want you to hear me say, being blessed is not synonymous with prosperity and abundance. It is not. But they are not connected at all. The, the blessing of God is his nearness. It's the image that he's put on you. It's his grace, his love, his mercy. If you're in this room tonight and you know Jesus, then you are beyond blessed. That's all you need. If that relationship is what, like, listen, if you think about this, the story of every believer is not that we were once bad and then God came into the scene and he made us good. That's not our story. That our story is that we were once dead in our sin, couldn't rescue ourselves, couldn't save ourselves, and Jesus entered into the scene, calls us out of death, and makes us alive. That's the story of every believer, that we were once dead, and now I'm alive. So listen, if that's your story, you're blessed. You're blessed. It doesn't matter what your bank account says. It doesn't matter what you drive. You are blessed. And because we're blessed, then we now have a responsibility. And the scripture here tells us, and God blessed them, and then God said to them. So God blesses, and now it's our turn to respond. Be fruitful and multiply. 
that he starts with be fruitful. And I'll say this, because I kind of wrestled all week of like how to explain this the best of my ability. And I believe fruitfulness is always connected with faithfulness. That fruitfulness is always connected to faithfulness. Blessing is not the same as fruitfulness. Being fruitful is our response to God's blessing through faithfulness. To have an apple tree, that's a blessing. But fruitfulness comes when you and I step into it, join God with what he's doing, water it, fertilize it, and cultivate the ground. Then it's fruitful. That fruitfulness comes from faithfulness. I love in Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable uh, of these three men who are, are given talents or given treasure and they're called to steward those well. I'm just going to read this really quick. In Matthew 25, it says this. This is Jesus' words. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another one, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man had received five bags of gold, went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more multiplication. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Multiplication. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, watch this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But watch this. The man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you did not sow, gathering where you not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The two the first two servants take what God has given them. And they go, God, it's not about me, it's about you. And I'm going to multiply this. And in that, the, 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 the God character steps into the scene and says, well done, my good and faithful servants. And then we, we see this other guy who takes one bag, he's been trusted with one bag, one talent, and he hides it. And the reason he hides it is because of his view of the master. The reason he doesn't multiply is because of the way he views God. 
And he looks at him when, when, when God comes back into the scene, he says, hey, listen, I, I don't trust you. I, I didn't think that you were good. I didn't think that you were going to take care of me. I didn't think that you could really be trusted with all of this. And so I just hid it. I just maintained it. And God just looks at him and says, it's wicked. It's wicked. You see, fruitfulness is always connected to faithfulness. And church, I, I want us to be a people who are willing to take big risk and are really willing to go, God, whatever it is that you give us, if it's 500 people, then great. What we'll do is we will leverage all of this for your kingdom. We'll risk it all for your kingdom. And our names may never make it in a book and great as long as your name is made famous. It's all about the master. What keeps us from being faithful is our view of the master. And we don't walk in faithfulness and we don't receive the fruitfulness because we don't trust him. And so let me kind of just ask you this question. I heard it this weekend. I see you, Pastor Scott. Uh, we had a guy ask us this question. I thought it was interesting. He said, if you have an apple tree and on the apple tree it has, one, one apple tree has 30 apples, one apple tree has 300 apples, and then this apple tree has 3,000 apples. Which apple tree is the most fruitful? You're like, mm, sounds like a trick question, but I'm going to say 3,000. Well, the answer is it all depends on what you do with the apples. That it all depends which fruit you're faithful with. Because if 3,000 apples rotten on this tree, it's not very fruitful. But with 30 apples on this tree, that every seed is taken out and planted into the ground and cultivated, now you not only have 30 apples, you have an entire orchard bearing lots and lots of fruit. It's all dependent on whether or not you're faithful with the fruit. And for us as a church, we want to be a people who give our apples away. We want to advance the kingdom no matter what. I love the old saying, anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples inside of a seed. And so for us, when it comes to being faithful and to be fruitful, we want to really, man, we want to be faithful with the people that God has given us. We want to figure out how we can build family, how we can actually do this, invest in one another. And so we were joking um, just a few days ago, I was with Austin, and we were just like, hey, what would it look like for us to figure out how to invest in just one person? Like if each one of our people just invested in a single person, like what would that look like if we were just faithful? Like how do you like manufacture that? Like it's, it's kind of difficult. You can't just speed date everyone and go, hopefully somebody connects and y'all just want to be friends outside of this. And so we remember talking about like, you know, we want to be a church not just with college students, but a church for college students. And so we were joking about the old school, uh, if you've been to maybe a Southern Baptist churches, they've got like adopt a college student. And so families, you'll like adopt a college student and just like take care of them on the weekends and help them wash their clothes, uh, you know, cook them a meal once a week. I was like, that's super cool. I was like, what if we did the opposite? 
What if you're a family in the space, in the room tonight, and you got adopted by a college student? And a college student said, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to love you. It's a little backwards, but I thought I was like, let's go with this. Let's run with it. And so here's what we're going to do. Actually, this week, we're going to give it a go. And this isn't going to become a formal program. This is just for fun. Check this out. We were talking this Wednesday night. There's a basketball game, our first exhibition basketball game at UTSA. Okay. And we want to be a church, once again, for our college campuses. And there would be, I mean, there would be just a blessing to that campus and the, the athletic department to just go and support them. And so we were like, hey, listen, what if all of our college students, some of them are here, many of them go to uh, the 7 p.m., what if they adopted you and they took you to the game and you got to sit in the student section and you got to cheer lead uh, alongside of them. Now, if they take you to the game, you need to buy their meal uh, because they're not gonna buy, be able to buy yours. And, uh, and the good news is the game's free and so they can get you in there uh, with no problem. But, uh, and we're just like, let's go for it. So we don't have the details, we're gonna give it a shot. If you're in this space and you're like, you know what, Drew, I'm down. Let's experiment. Like, I'll let a college student adopt our whole family. There's six of us, but let's do this. If you'll write on the connection card, you write just adoption, college, basketball, you just write anything like that, we'll know what you mean. And we will connect you with the college student tomorrow. We'll play matchmaker. Y'all go grab a meal before the game. They'll take you to the game, and you cheer alongside of them, and you become their biggest fan as they cheer on the Roadrunners. College students in the space, I see a lot of you. Jade, uh, She's a cheerleader. Are you cheering that game? You are. So she'll, you'll be there no matter what. And so uh, Jade's one of our cheerleaders at UTSA. If you, college student, if, if maybe I don't have your information, you put your name. You don't even go to UTSA. That's fine. You put your name down, and we will connect you with the family that you can adopt. Cool? We're going to give it a go. But this is just our attempt to become family and try to love one another, do life side by side, and just this experiment of church to see what happens if we walk in faithfulness. And so it's just a basketball game. It lasts like an hour and 20 minutes. It's not a huge commitment. So, um, but yeah. So that's fruitfulness that ultimately comes from faithfulness. And this third piece here is that God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And I said it earlier, there's no movement without multiplication. That multiplication was God's design from page one, and then you see it reiterated through the entire scripture over and over again. That God looks at Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful and multiply. You were created in my image, and you're going to multiply my image across the planet. You're going to multiply my grace and my love. And the problem is, is in three chapters, that's, that's how far they make it in before they, hold, they screw it all up. And they go, God... Thank you, but no thanks. I want to be in my own image. I want, to, I want to be my own God. I want to do this my own way. And in that moment, we committed treason with the God of the universe. And sin entered the world and fractured it as we know it. It broke it. And in that moment, our relationship with God was broken. But God doesn't give up on us. He's not done. Like he's, he's going to be faithful even though we're not faithful. His promise will continue. And so even when, man, listen, 
humanity goes just buck wild and God sends the flood, rescues Noah, and the first commandment that he gives Noah when he gets off the boat is, guess what? Be fruitful and multiply. And of course, they don't fully get it. They're super broken. And uh, they continue to kind of do it on their own way. And so then God grabs Abraham, a man who, who, who didn't grow up. He's not Jewish. Like He grabs him. He's going to start this race. And these people, he whispers to Abraham and he tells him to look at the stars. I'm going to make your descendants like that. I'm going to multiply your descendants. I'm going to be a blessing to you so that you can be a blessing to the ends of the earth. They continue, at this point, they start to grow in multiplication. Jacob wrestles with God, wrestling with his identity, eventually submits to God, and God changes his name to Israel, and his first commandment is, be fruitful and multiply. And then this is all just in chapter 1, or, or sorry, in book Genesis. This, we haven't even gotten to the rest of it. But throughout the story, you see Pharaoh begins to enslave the Israelites because they're multiplying. And he's starting to kind of feel like he's losing power. And they continue within slavery to multiply. They're carried to the promised land. When they get to the promised land, the commandment is be fruitful, multiply. But they choose once again to do it their own way. And they're led into captivity into Babylon. And that's where we see Jeremiah reminding them in Jeremiah 29. He tells them this. I'll I'll just read this. Um, It says this in Jeremiah 29. He says, while you're there, he's talking about in captivity, Babylon, increase. He says, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. It's very similar. It echoes Genesis chapter 1. God has not changed his mind. He has not changed his plan. He's not changed his commands. He says, multiply there, do not decrease. And again and again, you see this over and over in the Old Testament. And then when it gets to Jesus, that Jesus speaks so much about this idea of the kingdom of God multiplying and he even talks about it himself when he says his life will be a, the, kind of a key factor in the multiplication. John 12, 24, Jesus said this himself. He said, I tell you the truth, speaking about himself, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus says so many things about his death, but it's all about this advancement of the kingdom of multiplication. And even you think about this, Matthew 28, the last commandment that Jesus pulls his, his boys together, one last huddle, and he tells them this, go and multiply. Go and make disciples on all the earth. Go and multiply. Like that's what he's telling them. And guess what? The disciples actually do it, and you see multiplication take root in the church of Acts. I'll just highlight a few. I mean, it's all over it. But Acts 6, 1, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So it's like multiplying so much that they have to actually take young leaders that are not yet approved. And they go, hey, let's like, you got to step up to the plate. you got to get out of the bleachers. you got to get into the game. And that's what I love about multiplication. It forces us to step up because if we're going to sit in the sidelines, we'll only do addition. 
Later on in that same chapter, when the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Acts 12, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And then Paul, all throughout his letters, reminding the people to multiply. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your faithfulness. Even if you go all the way to the end of Revelation, at the very end, we see there's a throne room of heaven. And what's being multiplied in the throne room of heaven is the praises of God forever and ever and ever. Multiplying praise and glory and honor to God, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And even my favorite story, and Jesus is life, I just I love this, that Jesus is gathering on a hill, and the Bible tells us that there's 5,000 hungry people. The truth is, it's probably closer to like 15 or 20,000 people, because that's just the men. So about 15, 20,000 people gathering around to hear Jesus, and they just kind of lose track of time because they were just so enthralled with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus' boys come up and go, hey, Jesus, we should like let them go into town, maybe grab a snack, uh, a meal at the local McDonald's, whatever. We need to let them go. And Jesus goes, no, let them stay. Why don't you give them something to eat? And the disciples go, Jesus, we would have to go to town, work for like two years straight just to come back to give them like uh, a, a little cracker and maybe a shot of grape juice. And Jesus goes, well, what do we have? And they kind of scour and find one little boy. One little boy has a Hebrew lunchable of two fish and five loaves. And I want you to see this. They take that, that little meal, that lunch, packed probably by his mom, and they give it to Jesus and Jesus prays over it. I just want you to see the beauty of this. In Genesis chapter 1, God tells us to be fruitful and multiply. And then he tells us to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the fish. And Jesus knows the one that put the fish in the sea. And he prays for it and begins to tear it into pieces and all of a sudden, as they feed all 20,000 people, they get first, seconds, thirds, fourths. They're filled to the brim, and there's still 12 baskets full. That Jesus takes the little bit that we offer, and he multiplies it. If we trust him with it and say, listen, like, I want you to just think about this little boy. How easy this would have been to be like, Jesus, uh, it's my meal. If I give it to you, I probably won't get it back. If I give it to you, I'm not going to have anything to eat. There was a lot of trust, a lot of faith going, Jesus, I'm going to give this to you. And I don't know what's going to come back my way, but I'm okay with that. And, And he gives him his lunch. And Jesus feeds 15 to 20,000 people because of multiplication. And here's the beautiful thing. We have no idea that little boy's name. Why? Because it doesn't matter. Because it's all about Jesus. 
He was the one that multiplied it, and he's the one that gets all the glory. And church, we want to take the little bit that we have and go, God, it's not much. We meet in a gym for crying out loud. We take lunch tables and we flip them over and make them look like pews. A lot of pipe and drape. Like we don't know what we're doing. But it's yours. And we'll try our best to keep in step with you wherever you lead us, wherever you want to go. Because the only trees that don't multiply are plastic trees. They're the ones that don't bear fruit because they're not alive. When we encounter Jesus and we're made alive, the byproduct of that as we walk in our faithfulness is to bear much fruit. And from that, when we steward it well, we multiply. So what's the fruit of multiplication? For our church, these are the things we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate death to life stories. That we believe, like I shared earlier, the moment you come face to face with Jesus, your world is flipped upside down and you go from being dead in your sin to being alive in Christ. And I love that in just a few moments, like Austin shared earlier, we're going to get to celebrate our first baptism night. Uh, we, we're, going to, we're thinking about doing it tonight. I'll just be honest. You're like, wait, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, surprise us too. Uh, we had talked about it. We thought about it. We're like, let's be cool if we could sync up with CBC. And we had a guy just a, a week and a half ago give his life to Jesus. And he's like, no, I want to be baptized tonight. We're like, well, why, why tonight? And he goes, because today's my 40th birthday and I'm a little over two and a half months sober, and I just gave my life to Jesus, and it would be a big deal if I did it tonight. And we're like, okay, tonight we'll do it. We'll figure it out. We don't know how this is going to work, and so we just went with it. And so, and then the crazy thing is, is we have man, oh, at least two guys that I can think of right now off the top of my head that, like Austin said, have given their life to Jesus one last night, and one like an hour and a half ago. It's like, hey, I'm in. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Let's get baptized. We're like, let's... Let's do this. And so tonight, as soon as we're just done here, we'll have just a quick break. And if you've got kids, grab your kids out of uh, kid space, and we would love for you to come out and celebrate these death-to-life stories because that's what multiplication looks like. That's what I mean. I love it. Like we're seven weeks in. And most churches, they're lucky if they get to do a baptism in their first year. And we got to a point where we're like, we can't wait. We have to do this now. And that's just, I just we're going to celebrate. I love the RIM communities. I think almost every person getting baptized is connected in a RIM community, has been for several weeks. And so many of them, some of you are getting baptized here, spoiler alert, your RIM communities are showing up. Like they're a bunch of them made poster board. And it's going to be a party out there. And I love it. This will be our first one. And this will be kind of going down in history. And so that's, that's the thing. That's, what, that's a fruit of multiplication. Disciples are a fruit of multiplication. Leaders, not staff, leaders. Leaders are the fruit of multiplication. And churches, that we want to be a church that plants churches. Is that not crazy? Seven weeks old. And us and the team and the staff are thinking about when's our next church plant. But you know what's interesting about multiplication is that it can't be done alone. You can't do it alone. Multiplication took Adam and Eve, even biologically. You think about that. You've got to have two people in love 
to multiply. We can't do this alone. We're called as a church to multiply together. If I do this, if I try to do all this work on my own, it'll only be addition. But if all of us answer to God's call and walk in obedience, then we'll see multiplication. I'll share you with this. This is crazy. Just loving math. I did some of it more today. And I thought, if I had the ability, God gave me just the grace to lead 10,000 people to Jesus every single day. Let me think about that. 10,000, that's like the size of Gold Canyon, all five gatherings, I got to lead that many people to Jesus every single day. That'd be crazy. But I want you to know that it would take me 1,945 years, 25 lifetimes, to reach the world. It would be year 3,965. But I want you to listen to this. If you, this year, by the grace of God, get to lead one person to Jesus, and you spend the entire year discipling that one person, one year, and one year from now, You look at your disciple and you go, hey, you go find somebody else. I'm going to go find somebody else. And you go, now now listen, there was two of you and now there's four. And at the end of that year, you each release your disciples and you go pick someone else. So that for every year you have one person that you're investing in. At the end of that year, you release them. I want you to think about this. To reach the entire planet Earth, including inflation and growth, with the gospel and disciple all, with seven point something billion, I just, for math's sake, did 8.5 billion people. If that's were to happen, this whole thing would be accomplished in 33 years that we would see our entire planet discipled and following Jesus by 2053. The majority of our lifetimes. Now there's a lot of factors in that. And the Spirit of God is ultimately in control. We're not in control. But the math adds up. And I want us to be a church that's willing to multiply everything, no matter the cost, because we believe that God can be trusted and we want to be faithful with what he's given us. I'll end tonight with this. This apple is a honey crisp apple, by far the best. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but the honey crisp apple was developed in the Twin Cities of Minnesota that it took well over 30 years to develop it, engineer it, and it didn't hit the stores until 1997. What's interesting about the Honeycrisp, if you've ever had it, it's incredibly sweet and really, really juicy, and it's, the reason is, is the cells in the apple are much larger, twice as large as some of the other apples. Now, but here's the deal. An apple doesn't hang on a tree 
so that we can simply know facts about the apple. An apple hangs on a tree so that it can be experienced. It's really good. To be tasted and valued and treasured and enjoyed. Church tonight, I want you to hear me. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ didn't hang on a tree so that you and I could memorize facts about him. He hung on a tree and died on a cross, placed into a tomb so that we could experience him, so we could know him intimately and deeply. And the love of God is more real than the chair that you're seated in tonight. And if tonight you've never experienced that, if you've never tasted and seen that he really is good, and tonight you want to, then I'm gonna encourage you to do something. That's gonna take a lot of courage. Then I'm gonna ask you just simply, as we worship, that maybe you grab the person you came with and go, hey, listen, Drew said some stuff about Jesus. I need to know, let's have a conversation. Or tonight, if you're really serious about it, and you go, I, I need to know, Drew, you tell me. I'll be hanging out over here. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. And so many of our other people with our lanyards, if tonight you really want it, you've never tasted and seen that he is good, then tonight maybe that's your night. So I wanna pray for us, and then we'll worship. And who knows, maybe some of you will give your life to Jesus tonight, and you'll go straight to the water, and that'll be an awesome story. Let me pray, and then we'll worship. Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, we were meant to experience you, not just know about you, not just memorize facts about you. And so Jesus, tonight, I pray that wherever we are, whatever we need, I pray that you would, you would meet us, that you would speak to our hearts, and that we would respond exactly exactly with whatever it is that you want us to step into. And so maybe it's saying yes to you. Maybe it's learning how to multiply. Maybe it's picking one. Maybe it's letting a college student adopt me. Whatever that looks like to walk in faithfulness. Jesus, we're yours. Have your way. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to the CBC The Rim podcast. If you like the message, then check us out at cbctherim.com. There you can learn more about our gathering times, upcoming events, or how to get more involved. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CBC The Rim. Thanks for listening.